chapter 5. As we continue our study in the Old Testament Minor Prophet, Amos. Crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth apparently are following that. You don't have to take her out of here, I just say <laughs> The church and our worship gathering, we mean intentionally to be a place where the families feel welcome to be. And, you know, there's, there's just something important about families gathering together in a time of worship. And sometimes that gets a little noisy. I hope you hear that as a good noise. Well, we have been studying Amos. And to remind you, if you haven't had the chance to be here, I, I would invite you to go onto our website and, or our YouTube channel, and uh, you can go back and, and listen to those sermons that have gone before to give you some historical, literary, and theological context for the situation of Amos. But as a reminder, what I'm finding so powerful about Amos is that the nation that he is addressing, the people he is addressing, are very much in a similar situation to us today. A prosperous nation. A nation that has been military, militarily victorious on all sides. And they are reaping the benefits of that prosperity. But Amos had a message to bring. He was a missionary. He came from the southern nation of Judah to the northern nation of Israel. And he had a, a missionary message to say to them. Do you remember what it is? God is a roaring lion who judges, punishes, and destroys prideful, sinful nations. And Amos defines sin as a willful disobedience against God. And then last week we learned that God warned them, and Amos reminded them in Amos chapter 4 that God had sent messages to them to show them that they were on a dangerous course to, to get them to repent, to turn from their ways and go a different ways. And those messages that God had sent them were famine and plague and war. And yet they had not returned to him. And what's strange is he's saying that to a prosperous people. So why was Amos saying those things to a prosperous people? Well, he was anticipating what was going to be happening in the next couple of decades. He was reminding them that although you are prosperous now, when these things come, those are messages from the Lord. And so Amos was speaking. He was speaking a message of truth. And he was doing it in love. And I reminded you last week that that's exactly what we are supposed to do to a nation, our nation, that has fallen disastrously away from God. Well, today I'm going to take a risk at doing something. And the risk is very much a risk, I hope, does not lead to any type of alienation. I'm going to read Amos chapter 5, and we're going to look at it, and then I'm going to end my sermon by talking about the primetime address that our president gave to our nation. That's very risky to do. But I feel like the two, the two Amos 5 and what President Biden said this week I couldn't ignore the, the parallels, and I want you to see the parallels as well. So, here we go. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we seek your word once again, it's, it's with a humble acknowledgement that this has got to be you. It's got to be you, not me. It's got to be you, not us. We need to hear from you, Lord, because this is your word. It's inspired by you, but also the interpretation of it is inspired by you. It's got to be both. It's got to be you, Holy Spirit, speaking to us. We're not smart enough. We're not clever enough to understand how this 2,700-year-old word can apply today. It's got to be you. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your servants are listening. American culture has become almost completely about the individual. Have you ever thought about that? It's all about me. It's all about what's the most important thing to me. In fact, I don't think it always used to be this way. 
I think, I think that America used to think about others at least some. But it, it's like it's like we have become just fascinated or fixated upon our own individual freedoms, our own individual rights. Now, the prophet Amos, up to this point, um, has been difficult for us to understand. I think that we've begun to open it up in such a way that we can understand it. But as I've been contemplating, why is Amos, and why are the minor prophets, why are the 16 prophets of the Old Testament so difficult for Christians to grasp? We've talked about some of those things, but I, I, I think I've come upon something else as I get to Amos chapter 5. I think that Amos is addressing the entire nation of Israel. We're not used to doing that. We're used to talking in terms of the individual. Even in churches, we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We talk about personal salvation. We talk about personally giving our hearts to Jesus. And like, there's this, there's this, I don't want to say, I think ignorance is the wrong word because that's so negative. I think it's more, I think it's more like just, we don't know what to do with this, this concept of Amos that he's addressing the entire nation. Like, what do we do with national sin? We're used to talking about personal sins. See that? So when we, when we think about a nation, we're like, well, I don't really understand how we talk about that. I think that's one of the primary reasons we have trouble understanding Amos. We have trouble understanding, in fact, all of the prophets, like I've just said, because we have this really hard time figuring out how it goes from individuals who are sinning, who are in rebellion, rebellion against God, but then somehow, like, there's a gap between our individual stuff, and then it goes over here to, like, the nation. And, like, we don't know how to process this from a national level. Are you tracking with me? I think that, I think that Amos forces us to come face to face that with there, there is such a thing as national sin. What does that mean? How does that affect us? Well, I think that's why we struggle with understanding the message of Amos. But, here's the deal. Amos is not ignoring the sins of individuals. In fact, he's been talking all throughout the first four chapters about the sins of prosperous people who are treading upon the poor. Right? So he's talking about individuals there, but he never points out an individual. He's talking about that as like a, a, a thing the whole nation is doing. It's like, it's like he's indicting the entire culture of the nation of which individuals are just sort of living in. It's like, it's like he's, he's, he's indicting the water that the fish are swimming in, not just individual fish. That's hard for us to grasp, isn't it? But now in chapter 5, in chapter 5, he's going to turn a little bit more toward individuals. But still, still, I want you've got to keep in mind the national nature of this message. In America, especially lately, I think we have trouble holding these two ideas together, the individual versus the nation. You know, we've interpreted the word freedom as an almost exclusively individual word. We've struggled to understand that individual freedom has very little, if any, meaning if it is disconnected from a wider freedom that exists in our culture. You know, people in America are free but we fail to understand that our individual freedoms are only as strong as all of our freedoms together. In addition, it seems like we've lost our ability in this country to recognize that freedom comes with responsibilities and consequences. Did, did you hear that? Anybody, anybody hear that? Individual freedom comes with responsibilities and consequences. I think we, we like to talk about freedom, but man, we're not real excited to talk about responsibilities and consequences. That's super problematic, you understand? Freedom is not free. And of course, when we use that phrase, we usually think of our military, and I think that's appropriate, because there have been people that have sacrificed as much as their lives for the freedom that we enjoy. But when I talk about freedom not being free, I'm saying freedom is not free in, in the terms of there are responsibilities and consequences that come with it. 
So I'm not using it in the term of the military thing, even though that's okay, right? But there's responsibilities and consequences with the freedom we enjoy. We have a responsibility to the people around us, do we not? We need to respect each other, especially the weak and the vulnerable in our society. We also need to sacrifice for each other, especially for the weak and the vulnerable in our society. These are responsibilities. But you understand there's also consequences when we don't meet those responsibilities. When we choose to use our freedom in ways that are contrary to God, did you hear it? When we choose to use our freedom in ways that are contrary to God, there's consequences. Both for the individual and for the entire nation. This is what Amos is teaching us. And it's a hard lesson for us to hear. So I'm going to read Amos chapter 5 to you. We're going to read it in two sections because there are two distinct sections in this chapter. The first section I read is going to be verses 1 through 17. I want you to listen what this is. And I've been trying to give you things to listen for because. Because listening to the minor prophets is so difficult for us, because it's such a different way of thinking, right? So I, I want to help you listen to what, what is here. First of all, this is a lament. Now, here's another thing Americans are really not good at. We are not good at lamenting. I think that's true for a couple of reasons. The first is, we don't like to talk about death at all. So, so we just avoid talking about death as much as we possibly can. And lamenting is a form of grieving, a form of talking about something that you're lamenting about, right? So we just don't go there. The second thing is, and I think that this is unfortunate, I think, I think Christians specifically, particularly, have a problem with lament. We don't know how to engage in lamenting because it seems like it's just an Old Testament thing. Like, like we shouldn't be like there's this, this false belief that when we're at a, a funeral and we've lost a loved one that somehow we need to act like we're not grieving because we have so much hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey y'all, lamenting is something we're supposed to do. I mean, there, there's 66 books in the Bible. One whole book is devoted to lamentations, lamenting, right? It's a whole book of the Bible, and there's there's laments in all. And many, not all, but many of the books of the Old Testament and New Testament, there are laments. We're looking at a lament right here today in Amos. So I want you to understand, a lament is an expression of grief, but it's unique because it's, a, it's an expression of grief to God. A lament is when your heart pours out because you're grieving, and it doesn't have to be the death of someone, you can be grieving a loss of something. But you, it, it goes to God. That's what makes it a lament. You are pouring your heart of pain out to God over something that you've lost. We're not very good at that. Because we're think, we think we're just, like somehow, like we're supposed to keep our joy, right? So then we think, well, we can't lament. No, you can keep your joy in lament. We lament, this might help you, when our hearts are broken. When your heart is broken and you, and you give that to God. That's what lament is. And so now what we've got right here is Amos, who has been really giving it to the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, right? He's really been saying, you know, you guys are in trouble, right? He's really been getting them. But now he changes preaching tactics, you could say. And instead of like saying, you guys are doing bad stuff and God's going to send all these things that are going to, you're going to be judged and all. But he changes and now says, I want you to know, my heart is broken for the state of things. I am, I am in pain for what I see in your nation. And I bring that pain to God. Now with that, are you ready to listen? Amos chapter 5. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says, 
The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted less vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet at such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you said he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards. For I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Now, that seems super disconnected. And the first time, if that's the first time you've ever heard that, you're like, I can't follow what's going on. Like, I, it just seems like disjointed. So I'm going to risk something here, if that's okay. I'm going to risk trying to show you a literary device in ancient Hebrew to help you make sense of it. I don't often do this because it's really easy to get lost in the weeds, but I think it's worth showing. What we have here is something called a chiastic structure. This is a way that ancient peoples, not just the Hebrews, not just the Israelites, this is a way that people who wrote in this time period emphasized one specific thing. And the way they did this, and if you want to write this down, it's actually going to be helpful if you can look at it by, by writing it down. So if you want to write this down, I'll show you what's going on here. And by the way, I am very likely not smart enough to see this myself. I got this from a commentary, and I found it to be very helpful. This is a, a chiastic pattern. What that means is, there's repetition here that is meant to show a very specific thing in the middle of it. Okay, so if you've got your piece of paper out, we're going to make an outline, and I want you to put A with a dot. A, call to seek God and, I'm sorry, A, I, I read the wrong one. A, lament the death of the nation. That's verses 1 through 3. So that's A, lament the death of the nation. And then I want you to indent underneath that like, like, a, like an outline. B. Okay, so B, like an outline. B is called to seek God and live. That's verses 4 through 6. Okay? Now underneath that, underneath that, there's another indent. And this I want you to put C. Accusations of no justice. That's verse 7. Accusations of no justice. That's verse 7. And then underneath C, and again indented, I want you to put D. Him, H-Y-M-N. Him to Yahweh. Verses 8 and 9. 
Now, verses 8 and 9 are the center. This is what this literary device is meant to call your attention to as the center of it all. Verses 8 and 9. Now, I want you to go underneath that. I want you to go to C again, but now indented back so it's level with the other C. Accusations of no justice. Verses 10 through 13. Notice that's the same as the C above. Accusations of no justice. Verses 10 through 13. And now underneath that C, I want you to indent backwards again to B. And guess, you probably guessed it by now, B on the bottom is the same as B on the top. A call to seek God and live. Verses 14 through 15. A call to seek God and live. And then underneath that B, again, backwards indent, A, lament the death of the nation, verses 16 through 17. There's a parallel that gets down to D. A, B, C, D. The purpose of this and why it seems so strange to our eyes when we read it is because it's not meant to flow linearly. And we have been programmed through all of the years of schooling that we have had that literature is supposed to be linear. It goes in a straight line. This is not linear. It's chiastic. And it's all about focusing our attention on what's in the middle of it. And the middle of it is this. He who made the Pleiades and Orion who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is His name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to rule. The center of any nation, if it is not that, that nation is destined for destruction. That's the purpose of this section. And it's a lament. It's in the form of a lament poem. Amos is lamenting the fact that these people have not recognized God as the center. Do you see it now? It's a literary device designed to draw your eyes and your heart to the very center of God Almighty. That's what that is. And that's why when we read through stuff like this really quick, and we're thinking everything should be linear like we're used to, we just go, well, I can't understand that. <laughs> right? This is why I don't read the Bible. And then we're just like, you know, ah. Right? You've got to get in and let the Word of God into you. God is God. He is the Creator. He is majestic. He is holy. He, and make no mistake, He alone is worthy of our praise and our veneration. And he expects us to live justly towards others. Seek him and live. Seek him and live, O nations. Fail to seek him and you will die. Both individuals and nations. So if you like to highlight in your Bible, highlight verses 8 and 9 and put the center. I would also have you highlight Amos chapter 5 verse 4, seek me and live. And then highlight verse 6, seek the Lord and live. And then the bottom part of the chiastic structure of that same thought, verse 14, seek good, not evil, that you may live. See how seeking God and seeking good 
they're interchangeably used in the chiastic structure. Do you see it? Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. And that brings us to the second half of Amos chapter 5. Do you feel like this is a steak dinner of understanding God's word? That's what I want. Meat and potatoes. I could talk to you all day long about warm and fluffy things. I want you to understand God's word. I want it to become a part of it. I want it to change the way you live. Starting in verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate. I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs! I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. <laughs> Three paragraphs in this section. We're going to go through them quickly. Amos, verses, verses, verses 18 through 20, chapter 5. This whole section, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. A couple things about this section, not much, but I want to help you understand. This is the earliest occurrence of the phrase, the day of the Lord, in Scripture, used prophetically to talk about Israel. But it turns out that before Amos, the people of Israel had been talking about the day of the Lord, but they've been talking about it as, I can't wait for the day of the Lord. And the reason is because Israel had determined that they were blessed by God in a special way, and God didn't like anybody else, and on the day of the Lord, God's going to destroy the other nations, and we're going to be raised victorious. And Amos says, oh, you want the day of the Lord, do you? It's not going to be what you think. The day of the Lord is the day that God just that God justly judges all sinful nations and all means all. And that means you too. So don't look forward to the day of the Lord. It's going to be real bad for Israel. And then, verses 21 through 24. I think that this section of scripture in Amos ought to be required reading for anyone who wants to be a worship pastor. I think this is required reading. And, you know, I'm thinking that if any of you go to the Overflow Worship Conference, the first thing you need to do is read this section of Scripture. Read it out loud to the whole gathered assembly of, of skinny jean-wearing worship pastors. Okay? I, I think that they need to hear this first and foremost. It's so good. It's so important. It's a big deal. Because when God says he hates something, when God says he despises something, maybe you should take notice. Good idea? I mean, if there's ever, ever time where you should highlight something in the Bible, when God says, I hate something, that's, you need to get your little highlighter out. Okay? I hate, I despise. And what do you think is coming next? What do you think is coming next? Because what comes next is, I hate and I despise 
your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring a burnt offering to grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. And he's not just talking about people that like praise music or hymns. He's saying, if you come to God, I don't care what your worship style is. If you come to God with an inappropriate heart, God hates it. Am I reading that wrong? Well, I don't like those praise songs. They're so repetitive. Oh, my goodness. I just can't get into those hymns, man. Oh, I don't know what those are. Hello? Now, I'm about to verge off into a whole different sermon, but I'm not going to resist. I just want you to notice what's going on here in Amos. Amos is saying, you think your worship that is false and divided between God and other gods, you think that that's pleasing to God? You are, you are completely wrong. God hates it when you divide your loyalty and your worship between Him and another. And then the last paragraph, God reminds them of the failure of their ancestors when they went in the desert. So he's, he's going all the way back to Moses. He says, are you going to make the same mistakes that they did? Ah, Amos chapter 5. You ready to turn a corner? This is the full transcript of President Biden's speech that he made on Thursday. I got some yellow highlighting there. I've got some green highlighting, just for the record, before I begin. The greenest stuff I thought was really good, and I agree. There's a little bit of green. So, the yellow is the stuff I've got. Amos chapter 5 kind of issues. Are you guys ready to go here? I'm not sure. So Thursday of this week, President Biden gave a prime time address to the nation. Now this was a little bit odd, because usually when presidents give prime time addresses, it's to announce something major, like a war, or like a disaster, or a crisis. Now, some of you had no idea that President gave a, gave a message, that President Biden gave a message this week. So this is like the first time you've heard of it. Um, you're probably having your first week of marriage and didn't know what was going on. You know, that's okay. Some of you um, knew this was happening and you listened to all of it. Some of you knew it was happening and you listened to some of it, but then you turned it off because you were mad. Some of you knew it was happening and purposely didn't listen to it because you have already hold your amen. Some of you purposely didn't listen to it because you have lost faith in our president and perhaps even our entire government. So does that cover everybody? I believe, and I, I, this is something I believe like Jason Cohen, I believe this. I think it's important that Christians need to be informed. Okay? So that means we need to listen even when, perhaps, perhaps especially when, we don't agree with the person speaking on all issues. Did everybody hear that? Can we start there? That to be engaged in this thing we call the United States of America, that means we listen to people, even or especially when they don't agree with us. That's a great starting spot. Alright. Now, I listen. What I heard concerned me. Not everything that he said concerned me. Some of what I agree with. I already showed you the green. So I, I, I want to lay some ground rules here just so you know where I'm coming from with this. Okay? First, I urge you to listen to the speech or to go read the transcript or maybe both. It's not like it's hard to find online. Type in Google, President Biden's speech. 600 million results. Okay, okay, it's not really tricky, is it? If you don't know how to use Google, call Pastor Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So that's the first thing. I urge you to listen or read the speech. Second, I cannot read his entire speech to you because it's too long. I don't have enough time. And I just want to acknowledge that this is super dangerous, okay? Because what I don't want to do is take President Biden's words out of context, okay? So I, I'm just acknowledging that, that what, what I'm going to try to interact with this without all of you having read it all, okay? So I'm concerned about that. It's in my brain. I don't want to pull what he said out of context. Third, I do not think that everything President Biden said was terrible or evil. Notice this is the third time I'm saying this. Okay? Please do not interpret, in, interpret my commentary on his speech as attempting to villainize President Biden. Do not interpret that. That's not what I'm trying to do. Fourth, I don't know if you're going to believe me in this or not, but I want you to know, I am attempting to not be political. And fifth, the purpose of me doing this is because I want to highlight the core problem that I think our nation has right now. I want to get past this and get to the core of what the problem is. As such, I cannot ignore how President Biden's speech connects with Amos chapter 5. And perhaps this is one of those things because I'm, I'm like immersed in Amos right now. Like I can't, I'm trying not to see Amos everywhere. It's like, oh, I really want to buy a Toyota truck. So then you see Toyota trucks everywhere. No, I'm trying not to do that, okay? But I can't ignore this. It concerns me. So here we go. And I didn't have number six down, but I, I just added a number six in my head. Please come and talk to me. Like, if, if you're like, Jason, that was totally uncalled. Would you come and talk to me? Don't just be mad and, like, not talk to me. Like, if, if, if something I say here, like, rubs you the wrong way or whatever, like, come talk to me. Like, let, let's have a conversation as Christian brothers and sisters. Okay? Because I might be wrong. And I, I need you to help me know what, okay, is that fair? All right. So here we go. President Biden, um, within 60 seconds of his speech... He says this, okay, and he's referring to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So this, this is the first, within the first 60 seconds he says this, and I think that this sets the tone and is key for everything that follows, and it's exactly what I want to highlight. So here's, I'm quoting President Biden, referring to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. These two documents and their ideas they embody, equality and democracy are the rock upon which this nation is built. They are how we become the greatest nation on earth. They are why, for more than two centuries, America has been a beacon to the Now that's an interesting choice of words. And of course we know the presidential speeches, they're careful, usually, about the words they choose. So just let me help you see the core of what I feel like we must learn from this. The rock upon which the nation is built. Do you believe that? Do you believe that equality and democracy are the rock upon which this nation is built. Now, equality and democracy, those sound like really good words. I think they are good words. But they're the rock upon which our nation is built. Might I remind you of the words of Jesus Christ, God himself, that he spoke to us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Equality and democracy are not adequate to found a nation. The words of Jesus Christ put into practice is the only rock there is, and anything else is sand. Only
President Biden refers to our liberty, our freedom, as a sacred flame that still burns. A sacred flame that still burns. Might I remind you that there is only one sacred thing in this entire universe. God Almighty. Not liberty. Only God. Only God is who we declare what is sacred, what is venerable, what is worthy of praise. Or, can I ask a question? How do you think God feels about mixing worship of himself with worship of anything else? Anybody got an answer there? I hate, I despise when you mix anything with worship of me. Liberty is not a sacred flame. President Biden then turns to the real topic of his speech, the real crisis that he wants the nation to know about so that the nation will respond. It's the reason for this primetime address. It's to make the case that Donald Trump and his mega supporters are attempting to undermine democracy. I know you'd probably like me to comment on that. I already said something last week, didn't I, in my sermon? I would be willing to continue that conversation another time. The pulpit is not a place to make a statement for or against President Biden's proposition. Because you can't talk back. So I would love to talk to you about what President Biden said right there, but I won't do it from here. Because I want it to be a conversation. Is that okay? <coughs> But giving support for that proposition, Biden begins to make his case. President Biden, excuse me, begins to make his case. And he says, and I quote, MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. backwards. Backwards to an America where there is no right to choose. No right to privacy. No right to contraception. And no right to marry who you love. Refer again to what I talked to last week in my sermon. Remember, I gave challenges to both Democrats and Republicans. Listen to that statement, you guys. President Biden has defined that taking our country backwards means if you're not pro-abortion, you are backwards. Did you hear it? If you... The, the personal right to privacy has become an, all, an ultimate right. In other words, I get to do what I want to do. That's an ultimate right in this country. And if you don't believe that, you are backwards. Did you hear it? I'm quoting the president's speech. I'm not satirizing it like the Babylon Bee likes to do. I'm really trying hard not to add to it or subtract to it. I'm telling you what the speech says. No right to contraception. I mean, I think that's a veiled reference to, like, a one Supreme Court justice, Justice Thomas, like, minority opinion that was just, a, like, the, the least of a reference in that opinion. And then number four, if you don't believe that we have a right to marry who you love, then you're backwards. Well, what if I love a child? What if I love a donkey? 
What if I love lots of different people at the same time? Of course, that statement has boundaries, but he presents it as if it doesn't. As if it's foundational to our nation. As if it's foundational to our nation. Then you're backwards if you don't believe that. False. President Biden goes on to say that we must reject violence as a political tool. Now, there's a, there's a green one. I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. Right? And he's referring specifically to January 6th. I agree. That was, a, that was a stain on our democracy that may never go away. I agree. But you know what he didn't say? Can I help you? What about the politicians that stood on the sidelines during the George Floyd riots? and said, burn it down. How about those politicians? Are we going to talk about that as well? Or are we only going to talk about January 6th? Do you see the problem here? Again, I would love to have a conversation. But it's problematic. And later in his speech, he says that light is now visible. As if the light that gives people light in the darkness is something other than Jesus Christ. Later still a quote. I ran for president because I believed we were in a battle for the soul of this nation. I put that in green. I agree. I still believe that to be true. I believe the soul is the breath, the life, and the essence of who we are. The soul is what makes us us. I agree. And he does, for the first time, at the very, near the very end of his speech, for the first time throughout the entire speech, he references God in the next sentence. The soul of America is defined by the sacred proposition that all are created equal in the image of God. That all are entitled to be treated with decency, dignity, and respect. That all deserve justice and a shot at lives of prosperity and consequence. And that democracy, democracy must be defended, for democracy makes all these things possible. I have that highlighted in green. Well said, Mr. President. But then he goes on. And if we do our duty, if we do our duty in 2022 and beyond, and ages still to come will say, we, all of us here, we kept the faith. We preserved democracy. That one's not me. I do not worship democracy. Do you? And then he goes on. We heeded our words. We heeded not our worst instincts, but our better angels. We proved that for all its imperfections, America is still the beacon to the world, an ideal to be realized, a promise to be kept. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred.
I understand Amos's lament for northern Israel. Because I feel it for us. judges, punishes, and destroys rightful sins of the nation. We've got our work cut out for us. I have been preaching to you, remember I preached on Shalom, and how we have received for Shalom, and so if, if Shalom, if peace is going to come from anywhere, it's going to have to come from us. It won't come from them. Because they haven't received it. Do you understand? So this, this message of, of speaking the truth in love, it, it comes from us or it doesn't come from anywhere. And it's not going to come from the top down. Have you noticed there are no good politicians under the sun? <laughs> are there any anywhere? I don't know. And the Lord is not calling me to politics, just for the record. But he may be calling you. I don't know. I lament for the United States of America. But we could become a people in which justice rolls like a roaring river if we will seek him and put him in the center of who we are as individuals and as who we are as a nation. May it be so. Thank you, Jesus. For your word to peace. It is my prayer, Lord, that you would speak directly to President Biden, that he might be given wisdom from you to know how to lead a divided nation. But God, may, may that wisdom be founded not upon equality and democracy, but upon the, the very words of Jesus put into action. And then may justice roll like a river. May we seek him, and may, may the peace of God come from us, the Christians in this nation, Christians both Republican and Democrat. May we unite together in such a way that people see the peace that is available and change, and change the very soul of this nation to turn toward you. In Jesus' name.